0: This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel, broadcasting remotely. Later this month, UConn students will begin classes for the fall semester, but college life and classes will look a lot different. Today, we focus on UConn's reopening. We'll learn how the state's top public research university plans to make students, faculty, and staff safe as the pandemic continues and we want to hear from you if you're part of the Yukon community, if you're a parent of a Yukon student, you can join us 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Now my next guest is new to Connecticut. He moved here to become UConn's Chief Academic Officer in May after working at the University of Kansas as the Dean of the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. And before that, he was a Professor and Associate Dean of Research at the University of Maryland. Uh, Carl Lejue is UConn's Provost and Executive Vice President for Academic Affairs. Uh, provost Lejue, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Lucy. It's great to, to be on and to, to talk with everyone.
0: Now, I understand classes begin August 31st, but depending on what year a student is, they're going to be returning in the middle of the month. So tell us, what is that going to look like for freshman students and others?
2: Well, for for first-year students, it it will be a different first-year college experience than than many other students have had previously. And and really, for all of our students, it, it will be a different experience. And so we are... We're really trying to balance expectations of trying to create the UConn experience and have as much of, of the academic rigor and all the experiences that our students would like, but also realizing that, that we have to prioritize safety, and, and in some ways it really will look different.
0: When we think about uh, residence halls or dorms, what does that mean in terms of capacity and making sure people uh, have a safe distance between each other?
2: So as you, you mentioned, I came in in May, which in some ways seems like a really long time ago. But even when I arrived, there was a lot of work already going into using epidemiology and what we understand about spaces and construction to, to create the safest environments we could in each of our spaces. And so for residence halls, we are at a, around 67% capacity. and And what that Really means is that we are reducing density in the residence halls in places where, we, where the the data would suggest that there is just too much risk. So the residence halls will still have a, a meaningful presence, but typically we have twelve thousand students in our residence hall, and so we're we're going to come in somewhere around eight thousand, and in our traditional halls where students are typically in a single room with a roommate, that's where you'll you'll see the biggest difference, where students will, will be in that room by themselves.
0: Uh, how did you come up with the decision of who could live on campus and who would have to either, uh, you know, think about maybe commuting or having an apartment? Because I imagine the demand for living on campus is high, Provost. Well,
2: <laughs> You know, it's interesting because we re- this was one of the things we worried about the most because we, we know, compared to our peers, we have a, a really high percentage of students who live on campus. Being, uh, It's one of the things I loved about the idea of coming to UConn was even though it is in some ways a big state public school, it has that kind of small liberal arts school feel in so many ways, and that on-campus experience was a big piece of it. Uh, the, I will say student affairs, the Dean of Students, our um, Shaw, which is our um, safety health and wellness, um, excuse, excuse me, safety, health and wellness for our students. They put a lot of, um, i sorry, student health and wellness, excuse me, uh, put a lot of time into really thinking about what's the right number of students and then how can we be fair and thoughtful in the students we put into the dorms and so there we prioritize things like a student's ability to come to campus every day we wanted to prioritize the first year experience and give those students some priority we also thought about diversity equity and inclusion and had some priorities for students where disparities would make it more challenging for them if they didn't have a, a place in the dorms now what i will say is because many students are concerned about safety and, and believe that being at home or being online is a better choice for them, we ended up coming in right around the capacity. And so this was a, kind of a lucky result in that, in the end, we, we had to deny housing to very few students.
0: For the students that are residing on campus, they need to move in starting August 14th. So what is the protocol and, and how often will those students be tested?
2: So it's important for students to come on the 14th because, uh, as, as you know, our, our state compared to many other states has, has fared quite well. And it's interesting because when I came here, this state was in worse shape and that was, you know, nervous for me coming from Kansas. And now, now that I'm here, obviously Connecticut is, you know, no one is doing well, but Connecticut is, has certainly done better and done a lot of things right. And so the students coming on the 14th allows us to, to do what I'm calling to create a, a Connecticut or a Yukon baseline, uh, because we have very little, um, and, infection in the area on campus. And so we want to try to keep it that way. So there will be a baseline level of testing where everyone will be tested and the students will have that two-week quarantine uh, or isolation period. And so this gives us a chance to start the semester where we have this kind of Connecticut or UConn baseline where, where we have confidence that we're going to be starting in a place where where we can be safe.
0: When you talk about quarantine, uh, Provost Ledgeway, what do you mean? Because when we think about especially freshman uh, students who are coming to college for the first time, they're living on campus, you definitely want to socialize. And so even if they they test negative when uh, they arrive and they're still quarantining for two weeks, they're still going to be seeing other people. And what if they're traveling on and off campus? How do you, uh, you know, really supervise that quarantine and make sure that people are staying safe?
2: So much of all the decisions we're making really has this balance that you're mentioning. And and it's pretty rare to feel like you're balancing two things that are both part of your values. I mean, wanting that college experience is something we really value. Wanting to ensure safety is also something we really value. And so there, there are just a lot of tough choices here. And in, in most cases, we are trying to make the best possible balance that we can. The quarantine is a, a good example of this. We, we certainly can't lock students in their rooms for two weeks, that wouldn't work in a variety of ways, but we also are not having classes in that period. We are being very careful about what we are offering. And the most important thing is that we are very firm about a requirement of masks and social distancing. And I'll talk about this more later, but in our classrooms, everything is designed to ensure that folks are able to stay six feet away from each other and have a mask on. And so with all of the things that our students will be doing when they come back, this will always be the primary thing and this will, this will continue throughout the year.
0: Mm. oh Again, we're talking with uh, Carl Lejway. He's UConn's provost and executive vice president for academic affairs. If you have a question, if you're a part of the Yukon community about how this is all going to work this fall semester, the number 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. And we spoke to a UConn professor who helped do uh, focus groups, uh, talking to students and, and others about you know, how reopening will look like. And, and some of the students wondered, you know, why not have online Classes in that two-week period, uh, Provost Lesjeu, this idea of giving students something to do, so if they're quarantining, they're not tempted to, uh, you know, be running around and hanging out with friends versus staying focused.
2: Well, we've we've really appreciated uh, the multiple focus groups that have that have been run, and we have a, our institute on a collaboration on health intervention and policy here on campus, and they've run thought exchanges and ideas labs and. One of the big things that that this really dovetails with is Student Affairs has something called a Kindness initiative. They actually have a really great webpage for this with a whole range of different activities and and opportunities for students to feel connected to the university in this two week period. We're we're also developing a course on anti-black racism that will be utilized in the first semester. And we're hoping to have, you know, we've kind of moved on this very quickly, but hoping to have a portion of that available in that period. So in terms of, of overall classes, you always have to think about the larger academic calendar. And by trying to create something with classes, we don't want to then in other ways interfere with with the semester of, of classwork and opportunities. But I can certainly guarantee that we we are creating as many safe opportunities for students in that period as possible
0: again you can join us eight 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 seven two zero nine six seven seven 720 or find us on facebook and twitter at where we live uh, we heard from christine on twitter uh, provost legway uh, she writes a study recently came out saying to safely reopen universities testing needs to occur every two days uh, she writes, "UConn has no plans for testing aside from at the beginning of the semester and randomly throughout." She wants to know, you know, is the university thinking about, you know, changing that plan?
2: So we we interrogate and think about our plans on a daily basis. We have several academic planning meetings a week. We have multiple other reentry groups. We have uh, groups that are focused on wellness and safety and testing. And so I, I should say we are always reconsidering our plans, but in terms of testing, what we're really driven by is the state guidelines and gating conditions. And I understand certainly a desire to have us test as much as possible, but in fact, we actually have set our testing above where the state guidelines are. And so when you start thinking about what different options are to test twice a week over an entire semester, it, what it would create for a large public school, you know, for smaller private schools, this may be more of an option, but, but in terms of to practically be able to do it, And when you also think about costs, and I I know we should never prioritize finances over safety, our decisions never do that, but we are using state funds. We are using student um, tuition revenue. These are all important resources for the university, and a testing every few days would, would cost upwards in the tens of millions of dollars. And in balancing the state, kind of where the state is, and where we feel like we can reliably come in, the, the current plan feels most reasonable to us. It also puts a lot of emphasis on having the right PPE, which our facilities and operations group is, is ensuring, having a culture where we are about prioritizing our own safety, but also other safety the six feet, being able to make sure that you're wearing your mask and have a community. If you think about the University of the UConn promise that we have, it's it's all coming together to make a promise to keep each other safe here. So I certainly understand the question. We are always rethinking things Mm -hmm. with surveillance testing. We're doing some interesting um, work that comes out of some research using wastewater to get a, a sense of, of where we may have uh, potential outbreaks. Uh, so, so we have put a lot into the full scope of the plan. And in terms of where we are with testing, we're really being guided by the state.
0: Hmm. I know Jackson Labs is at UConn. I believe they've been helping the state of Connecticut uh, with uh, testing. Is that something that, that Jackson Lab could help the UConn community with in terms of if when testing needs to be ratcheted up, especially when we think about uh, what we're seeing around our country uh, with uh, testing uh, waiting times to find out if someone's positive or not, Provost Leslie. So one of
2: the things I actually love about being at UConn is, it, are the partnerships, the role the university plays in the state, the great, um, you know, resources that we have and and, and the role that, that our partners can play. And so Jackson Labs is a great example of that. Uh, UConn Health, working very closely with them. We are also um, looking for Uh, Public and private partnerships where we're able to ensure that, you know, our plan is is really executed as close to perfection as possible, but invariably things may go in other directions and and our partners are going to be really crucial in that.
0: You can join our conversation again with Carl Lejway. He's UConn's provost and executive vice president for academic affairs. As we look at how the top public research university in our state is handling reopening classes beginning August 31st. Uh, Residential students starting to come onto campus for the fall semester in just another week. Again, the number 888-720-9677. Nestor's calling from Hartford. Uh, Nestor, you're on the show.
1: Hi, yes, thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for being on the show, uh, Dean. Um, I am a student at the law school, and I was wondering if, because the law school uh, the law school will be fully online, with a limited exception for legal clinics, has there been any discussion in reducing tuition to uh, lessen the financial burden for students? Because it will not be the same experience. We won't have access to facilities. And so far, it's looking like the law library, where I did most of my work, and a lot of my classmates do their work, will not even be open.
2: Yeah. So your your question really gets at something that that we think about and worry about all the time, which is the affordability of of all public and, and well, really all education, but particularly public education and and a UConn education. I will say one of the things that I think has been really hard about this is to open up to have the PPE that I talked about to be able to create safe classrooms um, where we are in what goes into creating our online courses to be as rigorous and and meaningful as they can be. I mean, I will say we have a, our Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning and we are working I mean they are working literally night and day with faculty early on in the development of courses in the um kind of throughout the semester and ensuring that courses are, are running appropriately we're actually spending considerably more money in trying to ensure that we're able to to run the campus as best as we can and so it becomes a challenge to identify how we would be able to reduce tuition or you know we are reducing fees in some limited cases where students are fully online but but to reduce tuition really cuts at our ability to try to do everything to keep the campus as safe as possible and and i also really strongly believe that we have really invested and gone all in on the online delivery of our courses and we believe that that it is a really strong experience so as much as i I certainly understand the question just on on both a practical and a philosophical basis we think it's you know we certainly aren't raising tuition but we think it's important that we have to hold tuition constant
0: now, Provost Ledgway, uh, we should stress that UConn has a mix of hybrid and in-person instruction uh, for this fall semester. But do you have an idea of, of how many students decided to maybe sit out this semester because uh, they anticipate uh, that uh, cases uh, could rise uh, later this semester and it goes fully online? They want to get uh, their money's worth. And just like Nestor believe that if it's online, that, that's not quite the same.
2: Well, we've we've certainly um, were surprised at how many students wanted to be on campus, wanted to take classes in person. One of the challenges that that we have with in-person is to create the right classroom space, we actually have to be at around 30% capacity. So we are a university that really uses all of our spaces. And so what that means is is in a kind of normal situation, we would only have about 30% of our classes in person. We've done a lot to try to use off peak classroom hours to be able to have these sort of hybrids where uh, some classes are in person some days and not in person other days to get that. Number as high as we can and and I think in some cases where as high as 35 to 40 percent but but we've certainly made a decision and, and this goes into Supporting any students or faculty who want to be online And so that has been kind of an important mantra for us from the start and as it relates to students you know, we we can't always promise the specific classes students want, but if they want online courses, we certainly have the opportunity to provide for students a selection of online courses that would allow them to continue to progress towards graduation. So, you know, I, I'd say kind of to summarize it, we we were pleasantly surprised how many students wanted to have the in-person experience, but also there were there were many who, Believe in the online experience that we can provide at UConn, and and chose that. So in a way, it kind of naturally worked in terms of kind of what our imp- what our limitations are in terms of space. And so we're we're hopeful that we'll be able to to go through the year with as limited disruption as possible, and and be able to move back to. You know, certainly much more of an in-person experience, but I will tell you a positive from all this is we have learned quite a bit about how to utilize technology and utilize these multiple modalities to have the best educational experience as possible. And I think this will make the UConn experience even better in the future.
0: You're hearing Carl Lejway here on Where We Live. He's UConn's provost and executive vice president for academic affairs. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Uh, Tracy's calling from Durham. Tracy, what's your question?
3: I actually have two questions because um, I'm an employee at UConn Health, and um I know for us as employees um, in the non-clinical areas, so research, et cetera, we're provided one mask per week, which is completely inadequate for PPE. Um, that's the policy, so they can preserve it for the clinical. So the employees are definitely not being kept safe. But in addition, the students that we have on campus, and keep in mind these are medical dental students who are in their mid to late 20s at the you know, youngest, Definitely do not practice social distance. Where we sit is right by their lockers, and they congregate every day in groups of 6 to 12, nowhere near socially distant, nowhere near, you know, some of them are masked, some are not, some don't have the masks on correctly. And these are older kids, so you're expecting 18, 19, 20-year-olds to do it when kids who are going into the medical field are not. So, it just seems unrealistic to have these kids on the stores' campus with the expectation that they're going to follow it correctly, and then also that the employees are not being given enough PPE.
0: Mm. Provost Ledway, how do you respond to Tracy's uh, questions and concerns?
2: Yeah, so let me let me start with the PPE question first. Um, you know i I need to get a better sense of of what's happening specifically. Um, on Yukon Health's campus in terms of PPE. So so I can, I will look into that. I mean, I certainly think we have to make sure that our employees have sufficient PPE. We have an approach on the stores campus. I know your question was back to stores at some level, uh, where we are delivering a certain amount to each unit, but have a plan in place where if you need more, you can request it and we'll get it. So. We certainly want to make sure that that our staff and students have sufficient PPE. So, I, you know, unfortunately, at this moment, I can't speak about what's happening at UConn Health, but I will certainly talk with, um, you know, talk with their director about that. Um, in terms of the congregation of students, I I think this gets back again to that balance, and it gets back to wanting to meet students in terms of, of their interest in having as much of a college experience as possible we we are putting a lot of thought into particularly in classes and in other spaces how do we enforce the mask policy what are the kind of tips that we can give our faculty because faculty um, you know and staff already have a sense of how kind of we enforce proper standards on campus. So part of what we're asking is just applying the same common sense and good thought about how do we apply the same thing to the, to the mask requirement. The other thing that I think is really crucial about this is while it is the behavior of others, I think we also have to be mindful of our own behavior. and staying six feet away, being, you know, if you are more comfortable with a plexiglass shield in the office that you work in or in the classroom that you're teaching and making sure you have your mask on correctly, making sure, you know, as we know, the risk uh, really goes up dramatically when someone's within six feet for more than 15 minutes. So ensuring that each of us, you know, we wanna do everything we can to try to limit those gatherings and and creating kind of a behavioral health commitment is one way to do it another way to do it is to have expectations and ways in which we can enforce those requirements but the the in some ways in my mind the most important one is each person keeping themselves safe and staying away you know what I would do in cases like that is make sure that I'm avoiding situations where others are congregating and it we will continue to try to find as many ways as possible to limit those congregations.
0: Well, Provost Leslie, will be taking a break in just another minute, but I do have to ask what happens if students do not wear their masks or if there's any issues with faculty? What if students are congregating unsafely? Are there repercussions beyond just reminding them it's the smart thing to do to follow these guidelines?
2: Yeah, so uh, you know, I in getting to kind of requirements, I do want to make sure we're not forgetting about the importance of of that community commitment and that that will be a first point and and it really increases if we do this right, it increases compliance, but you're right, there will always be times where we don't have that compliance. I'll give you an example in a classroom. What what we expect an instructor to do is exactly what instructors know to do, which is you always start with a request. If a student declines that request, there are ways in which you can step up, you know, kind of the way that you address this. And, and at some point, if an instructor just feels unsafe, if a student is not willing to comply with that, then the instructor should stop the class. And then we will work with that instructor to ensure that we've figured out with student affairs what are the ways in which we can ensure that that instructor is able to have a safe classroom we don't expect there to be non-compliance in terms of wearing masks but if if there is as i said we've really started to work through what are the steps to make sure instructors feel like they can do what's needed to have a safe classroom
0: And in terms of students congregating unsafely, even if it's, if it's off campus, I mean, how do you follow up with them? Because we see in Connecticut, there are these pockets uh, where young people cases are rising between the ages of 20 and 29. There's pockets where people have been uh, gathering and you're seeing cases spiking provost.
2: Yeah, and I think one of the hard things about the situation we're in here is there are some places where there are certainly things we can do. In terms of, of off-campus gatherings, what I've had to really kind of commit myself to is to also be clear where there isn't a lot that we can do. And, and quite frankly, these, these gatherings are not necessarily because of UConn. These gatherings are because, you know, when you're young, these are, these are things that you do. You may have a sense of invincibility. And so we can do everything we can using our educational mission to try to help. You know, I think in that way, we may be able to change some hearts and minds among students. But quite frankly, this is why the six feet of distance is so important, why the masks are so important, because when students are, are doing things off campus, there's, there just isn't a lot we can do. And I, I do have to be upfront about that.
0: You're hearing Carl Lejway on Where We Live. He's UConn's provost and executive vice president for student affairs. As we talk about uh, the campus reopening for fall semester, this is Where We Live. I'm Lucy nall After the break, we'll continue to take your calls, your questions, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy nalbeth My guest today is UConn Provost Carl Lejway as we talk about the changes the university has adopted to classes and campus life in this pandemic. Are you a UConn student, staff, or faculty member? What questions do you have? Join us, at 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Will's calling in from UConn. Uh, Will, go ahead.
4: Hi, um, so, uh, I actually, I have a question going back to to some of the precautions being taken about students doing off-campus activities, and I actually have a bit of an anecdote. Um, Right now, today is my last day of self-quarantining after I was infected with COVID because there was a single party um, in which, uh, you know, potentially a hundred people went. I wasn't there. I got it from someone who was, who didn't tell me that they were there. Um, So if... This one party has infected, you know, potentially thousands of people. I'm really concerned about, you know, off-campus gatherings, but specifically in, in regards to, you know, what steps can UConn take to both try and shut these things down, and additionally, what steps is UConn going to take to, if these off-campus gatherings happen, uh, to talk to these students who live off campus and to try and get them to self-quarantine because you know, while we have the ability to, to have students who live on campus self-quarantine, like if a student refuses to quarantine, if, if they refuse to take things seriously, what steps is UConn going to take to try and, t- try and defeat that a little bit? And, and kind of just, I, I know I, we love the reaction. We love saying, okay, if there's a party, we're going to make people quarantine. We're going to, you know, work with the students who are there just to make sure the best things happen. But is there anything that can be done to try and prevent these parties from happening uh, that's it doesn't include just trying to better that culture that you've been talking about. Is there anything that can be done to try and stop them before they happen Um, from a rule standpoint, from an enforcement standpoint? Uh, That's really my question because I'm, I'm seriously worried that there's going to be one or two bad parties and thousands of UConn students are going to be infected within a week.
0: Good questions, Will. Provost Lejway.
4: Yeah, so, Will, I have
2: some of the same concerns that you have. I I think one of the challenges we have is that there are some things we can control and we have to do the best job we can with that. Again, the the hearts and minds part. Um, Also in terms of the surveillance testing, if we are identifying that, that there are risk pockets, Um, you know, we, as I said, we will do testing on the front end. If we have outbreaks that doesn't mean we can't do additional testing. So there may be the need to have additional testing, but I I also come back to, I mean, we've been working really closely with student affairs to try to think about what are some of the options, but I will also say some of the options that we could take would not be things our community would be comfortable with us doing in the first place. And so we are limited in terms of what folks will do off campus so we've got to use the tools that we do have try to do the best we can with that identify where we have students who are infected Um, you know we once we know about that infection there are some things we can do in terms of having students in isolation but but there is a level of personal responsibility that we all have throughout this. And, and there is only so much the university can do.
0: So what have you heard from the, the communities that are near uh, the UConn stores campus? Uh, you know, are they worried about uh, the, the population not taking this seriously coming into town and having these off campus parties? I'm just wondering what the communication has been with community members who don't live on campus.
2: Yeah. So several of our uh, vice presidents have um, attended a town hall for the stores Mansfield community, and as I mentioned before, um, InCHIP, one of our institutes, um, has been doing several ideas labs and thought exchanges, and they are now doing one with the stores and Mansfield community. So we are we are certainly having contact we are trying to get a sense of what are some of the things we can do in collaboration those conversations are are happening now and as as i mentioned some of these things are are things we worry about too but even with the right collaboration it's hard to know how to how to stop some of those things now i will say the community is worried and and they've certainly shared that and it is something we we take seriously as well, and, and we will try to put in place as much of, of what we can control and, and stay in close contact um, and try to be good partners.
0: I'm wondering about contact tracing, Provost LeJoy. I know that your Student Health and Wellness Center will be leading that up, but in terms of saying that, you know, you can't, uh, you know, there's only so much you can do if if students and others are congregating off campus and not being safe. Uh, And when it comes to contact tracing, it's very important that people uh, are upfront with where they've been and who they've been around. And if there are these incidents that happen, you know, how effective will contact tracing really be?
2: Well we we feel good about the plans that we have in place there's both the work that that um, Shaw is doing but also uh, we are working closely with the state particularly for uh, faculty and staff and our human resources division is is also providing support so uh, you know we we certainly have those plans in place the state has put a lot of resources into this Shaw has a good plan and so you know, it's kind of the other side of what we're able and not able to do. I, we do hope that students are comfortable and able to share where they have been, particularly knowing, you know, there, there isn't necessarily any consequences of that. They are hopefully more able to be clear and upfront and honest about this, and we can reach out to as many as possible.
0: You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Michael's calling from Ashford. Michael, are you there?
1: Yeah, I'm here. Hi. Go ahead. Uh, Okay, my my question to the provost is uh, I've heard that there's going to be a big influx of off-campus students living in the Storrs Mansfield area and as someone who's lived in this area for quite a while uh there's n- never good off campus housing uh the hunting lodge road is an example of that and is it true that there's going to be you know two or three times the number of off campus students and is the university taking any any responsibility for Uh, their housing and and their um, whatever virulence they they may bring to the community?
2: So this is a a really good question and I think my answer would have been a little different a few weeks ago. Uh, As I mentioned before we had reduced our capacity for on-campus housing from 12,000 to 8,000. And the worry was that we would have a lot of students who wanted housing, but would not be able to get it. As I mentioned, because of some things that we've done, including a fee reduction um, for students who are not living on campus and all online, we're actually right around that 8,000 number. So actually our projections are that the number of students seeking housing in the local community should be no higher than it's been in the past because we no longer have a a large waiting list or groups of students who are not able to get on-campus housing. So I, I certainly understand the concern, but I think because of the quality of of what we've put into the online offerings. And many students, you know, even those who have said early on that they really wanted the in-person experience, many of them and their families have have decided, at least for this semester, it it may be better to stay at home. It may be better to take the all their courses online. And so I, I actually feel optimistic, unlike some of my other answers where I've had to say, you know, There's only so much we can do. I feel like for this question, uh, we should certainly not be seeing that influx.
0: This is Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Again, my guest today, Carl Lejway, UConn's provost and executive vice president for student affairs. We'll be back uh, to ask more of your questions. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpethanchel. Coming up Thursday, we're going to talk to 5th District Congresswoman Johanna Hayes for the full hour. And if you have questions, Representative Hayes, we hope you join us too. That's on Thursday. Today, my guest is Carl Leshway, UConn's Provost and Executive Vice President for Academic Affairs. We've been looking to hear from the UConn community about reopening plans this fall semester. Christine's calling from UConn. Christine, what's your question?
3: My question is, um, is about graduate students. We've been on campus for about two months now doing research, um, but when looking at the reopening plans, there's no, te- there's no plan for graduate students to get tested. Many graduate students do interact with undergrads on a regular basis, um, and we are all just confused as to where that leaves us. We need to be in and around campus, but we're not involved in any of the plans to keep us safe.
2: Provost? Sure. So, uh, so uh, the one thing I'll say is we, we have had um, many individuals, not many, but individuals doing research on campus throughout the summer, largely because of the lower density. We, we've actually had very, I think, um, one uh, positive case in research labs and, and few others um, elsewhere. Uh, grad students actually are part of the plan. They are considered... Uh, commuter students they're not they're not um often in university housing so the plan to have tests available to commuter students will be or or tests required for commuter students it will also be the case for grad students so you know one of the hard things about all this is making sure not only that we're coming up with good strategies but that we're communicating them really well and we're always asking and and trying to make sure that we're doing that and i my understanding is, is that's been clear that grad students are in that group, but I will certainly take a look at that and try to make sure that, that we're very clear about that. We very much appreciate graduate students. We've, we've extended the ability to teach online if, if you feel safer to grad students as we had to faculty as well. And, and we certainly do expect testing um, for grad students also.
0: Could you talk a little bit about, uh, Provost Legeway, since you mentioned that there was a case in one of the labs uh, over the summer, a positive case, that lab was closed for two weeks. You know, the New York Times reported on uh, many universities around the country that had COVID cases, including uh, they said UConn had 112 uh, positive cases. Can you, t- can you break that down for us uh, of where those positive cases were?
2: Yeah, so that that was unfortunate in the reporting on that because almost all of those cases were at the university hospital, and so it it obviously makes sense why there would be more cases there. But but certainly on the stores community, uh, stores campus and our regional campuses, we've we've had very few, if any, cases. And in cases where we've had, you know, one nice thing is that our Um, Office uh, for Research has a really extensive re-entry plan for any research lab that wanted to open, and that included what would happen if someone did test positive. And because keeping six feet of distance isn't always possible in a setting like that, it is important in some cases to then close the lab. So that is a case where we certainly never want to have any positive cases, but but we realize the reality is we will have some and we want to make sure that we have the processes in place and that we execute them when that happens.
0: Uh, can you talk a little bit more before we run out of time? When it comes to this fall semester, again, there probably will be people who test positive for COVID and hopefully uh, they're able to recover. But when it comes to when somebody is notified that they're, they test positive, how does the Yukon community, again, uh, how do you let people know uh, in their networks? And when do you make the call that it's important to uh, maybe uh, and make a class uh, be distance learning for two weeks or heaven forbid there's an outbreak on campus provost what's the communication protocol
2: yeah so so we have to really balance both um, privacy issues with ensuring safety for the community and so as part of contact tracing we consider someone um, to be someone who we need to notify if they've been within six feet of that individual for 15 minutes or more and so this this is in line with the state requirements the state gating conditions and so in a class we've actually designed the classes to ensure that we don't have that in place that all the seats are six feet away from each other that you know they're certainly not anything near 15 minutes of contact and so in those cases we we felt confident based on, on the state guidelines that we've not put those individuals at risk however in those cases where we can identify that someone has been in that contact um, we won't share who the individual is but we will contact that individual um, through our contact tracing partners as, as you know very very quickly and let them know and if we do have outbreaks um, we have set up this is part of the dedensification densification in housing that we have um, facilities and, and space where we can provide isolation we can work with those where there's an outbreak to have them quarantine at home so we do have a plan in place to handle you know even even if there are multiple cases. Of course, everything could reach a point where there are so many cases and where mm-hmm. we simply can't do that safely anymore. All of our reentry groups are now going to be shifting. You can almost think of it as closing groups where we are ensuring that we are planning ahead for all the different things that can mm-hmm. happen and have a clear plan in place for how we would make a decision that we could no longer stay open safely and, and how we would close the campus and transition in that case. I, I think it's a case that no one no one wants to have happen, but we have to be prepared if that's the case.
0: Before we run out of time, Manny tweeted at us and wants to know what steps are being taken to protect staff such as custodians and dining workers on campuses. And will workers who are required to be on campus receive some sort of hazard pay because of the health risks they face, provost?
2: Yeah, so we we're trying to do everything we as i've said to ensure that that we are supporting our faculty students and staff in being able to have that safe distance we are we have worked with all of our spaces to ensure that that we have adequate fresh air intakes and that we have good circulations in the room i i think a lot of things come back and i know this is, is kind of a hard conversation for people to have but you know, we are not a for-profit business. And so when the university takes in revenue, when it takes in tuition, when it takes in, in other resources, we have to use it wisely. And while I certainly understand there are certain things we could do in terms of cutting tuition or providing additional pay, we're just as worried about if we have significant reductions in housing, if we have significant reductions in the students that are using dining, the additional costs of the other things we're doing, we are worried about the impact on our ability to to support our our functioning and you know resources we can spend on diversity equity and inclusion initiatives the extent to which we are able to support our in, entire community of workers and so while while i certainly understand the perspective of folks who in this really hard and challenging time understandably you know are seeking additional salary or or reductions in in costs it. The the mathematics of it just make it impossible to do if we are going to be spending as as much of our resources as we can on on trying to keep everyone safe.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, fair points, but people like Manny are those that without them you wouldn't be able to operate these campuses, Provost Lesue.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and and that's that's why we're trying to put as much as we can into place to ensure that each of the environments that our folks are in are safe, where we're, you know, we're encouraging um, people if they are in a, for staff, if they're in a situation where there are congregations of people to leave that situation. We'll have
0: to leave it there. Provost Carl Lejway, we thank you for your flexibility today. I'm Lucy Nalpethanchel. Thanks for listening.